Draco Persepia. What? Yeah, it's a weird name. Where but, um, is the? Where does the name come from? <laughs> the first name was Dragon Piss, and I was like, I'm not <laughs> having this. I'm not skating, calling myself Dragon Piss. And it didn't help that the the abbreviation was DP. That's another story. say he welcomed me at the door barefoot definitely dressed in floral as i walked into the dining room the first thing i noticed was the spider plant as i was coming directly from a previous interview i definitely appreciated how calm the plant made the environment feel before officially recording hassan and i actually chat briefly about how finicky computers can be probably prompted by me complaining about my 2010 MacBook. He casually mentions his past struggles with the hard drive, recalling how he lost an entire song. And in the very same moment, we made it. This is the essence of Chris, though, also known as Hassan Barclay. Humble almost to a fault, open to embracing the process, and honestly, insanely musically talented. Hey y'all, I'm Alexis and welcome to The First Year Project, a podcast highlighting the good, the bad, and the integral aspects of the first year experience. Producer, artist, and overall musician, Hassan Barclay has one of the most unique sounds I've heard to date. His production credits include work with Boston-based artists like Original Kadeem, Michael Christmas, and OG Swagger Dick. But this project he dropped, entitled Heaven Is Your Last Dream, is what really initially caught my attention. Stay tuned as we talk about his first year experience as an artist and a badass musician. For visuals of this episode, make sure to visit firstyearproject.com. Hi, this is Hassan Barclay, and I'm here with Alexis from First Year Project. So, Hassan, what's the origin of your actual name, like Hassan Barclay? So, Hassan Barclay is my middle name. It's on my birth certificate. I actually tweeted that the other day, I think. That's crazy. Wait, as in like Hassan Dash Barclay or like... There's no Dash. I don't know why there's no Dash. So, you have two middle names. Yeah. Um, Barclay is my father's middle name. Okay. And my mom just threw Hassan on there because she was feeling a little Afrocentric in the <laughs> early 90s. So, is that. But, um, yeah, full name, Chris Hassan Barclay Rogers. That is so crazy to me. So, like, is there... Because I know, I know in some cultures, uh, families will particularly, like, choose a couple of middle names or, like, the names, like, stand for something else in terms of family. Like, does that have to do with your culture as well? Or is it just strictly, like, this is just kind of what my family did in this moment? I think it was more the latter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I, I hold on to it because it's like, I mean, Chris Rogers is a very standard name. Mm. It doesn't really stick out that much. You can Google Chris Rogers and like mad white people look him up. Hello, white folks. Yeah. Beige on beige It's like beige. a Texan with a big cowboy hat <laughs> that pops up every time. But um, Hassan Barclay has that edge to it. Mm. And I feel like that, I connect with that more than my, my given name. Very dope. Wow. That's actually really, really crazy. So I've 
put into my words what you do and the work that I've noticed that you do. But in your words, what would you say that you do and why do you do it? I would say that I give the world a sound that they didn't have yet. And I try to take familiar sounds and make something new with it. I put together sounds that people loved in the past and make something new with it. Yeah. How has like where you're from influenced the type of artist you are, musician that you are and like the work that you actually do? Um, well, I've grown up all over Boston all my life. I'd say my childhood was in Mattapan. So Mattapan's a really quiet place. It's like an interesting. I'm trying to figure out like what to compare Mattapan to if it were in like any other city, like like, like a New York City. What would it be? I don't even know. Um, I don't know either. It'd probably be somewhere in Jersey that I haven't been to yet. <laughs> probably. But, the um, Bronx? I don't even know. I don't even know. It's hard. It's because it's so <laughs> quiet, but there's so much going on if you like really pay attention. Yeah. And that's why you should probably mind your business when you're in Mattapan, honestly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you growing up in Mattapan, how, how did that kind of influence your art? Um, so in Mattapan, we, I lived on a street with a bunch of kids, and we would always play whatever. Like We'd play Manhunt in this big backyard that nobody knew about. There's a river down the street we would all hang out at. Or we would just play football in the street. Um, that community, that small amount of community was like everything to us. Because we all had weird homes, home lives, tough childhoods. And when we were on the street, we could just connect on another level as kids. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that a lot anymore. You don't see kids outside anymore. No. Really. Everybody's online or on their phone or on computers, whatever, playing games. But um, yeah, we had that. And I feel like that gave me a worldview I, I haven't even unpacked yet you know but um also i lived in hyde park i've lived in grove hall most recently and that's helped me secure my identity as a black man honestly how so for those who may not know like the essence of grove hall so grove hall is a pretty historic district mm-hmm. uh malcolm x did a lot of growing there. I yeah. think my, uh, Martin Luther King was out there too. Mm-hmm. Malcolm X used to actually like live there for an extended period of time. Though. Yeah. And um, yeah, just knowing that and seeing all the remnants of that still there, like strong people are still out there wearing suits and like, I'm not going to wear a suit, but it makes me feel like I can be my own person and mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about fitting into what the system wants me to be. You know? Very, very dope. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I think that's so interesting because listening to your work with Kadeem, listening to your own work on your own project that you very recently uh, released, the, you, you have so many different sounds just within your own sound. Yeah. So like have you being kind of eccentric and different, have you ever, I guess, had like difficulty like navigating through life in terms of finding your identity or, or rather people trying to put you in a box in terms of what you should be as a black man and as an artist? Yeah, I've dealt with that for a long time. Only like in the past few years have I really like secured myself in my identity as a musician too. Um, when I first started making music, I listened to rock and stuff. I listened to like electronica. How did you even get into that? Um... My cousin played guitar. He was in a metal band, like a hardcore band. In, in Boston? In Needham. So <laughs> in like, Needham? So I would stay with him for like a summer. Uh-huh. And he had a few other brothers. Uh, he had two brothers and a sister. And the two other brothers rap. The sister is this, 
I think she was a statey or something. <laughs> What's a state? Oh, uh, like a state trooper. State trooper, That's yeah. very hilarious. Yeah, she's brolic. She'll <laughs> snuff anybody if you hey, look at her wrong. You got you look at her wrong. Yeah, there but, you go. Um, yeah, um, he played in a metal band. He played in a bunch of metal bands, and I just saw the guitar, and I was like, oh, I want to play that. That's cool. Because growing up around that time, I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. All I did was play video games. And that those video games had the music that he was playing. Very true. So I connected to that and I was like, I want to do this too. Like it's right here. Why can't I do it? So I started playing it. I was afraid to play it at first. I would just like touch the strings and like be afraid. And I didn't want anybody to hear me. But one day he was just like, just play it, dude. Why were you afraid to play it? I don't know. I was just a kid and it was just like, I don't understand this thing. I want to see how it works. It's like when you like, it's very animalistic. Like I'm just gonna see how this thing goes. Very true. Like like touch, feel, listen. Yeah. yeah like get like the first. senses. Like just experience it. Mm-hmm. And then he taught me a few chords in the beginning, and I just went from there. I got uh, I got one at twelve for Christmas. Twelve or thirteen. You got, got a guitar, guitar at twelve. That's yeah. very dope. And um, I started from there. I didn't know how to play it. I didn't know anything about it. I would tune it all weird kind of ways just to fit the music I was listening to and play along with it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got my ear for music. That's crazy. So essentially you're saying like you taught yourself how to play the guitar on the most basic level. Yeah. That's really, really wild. Like, so at the age of 12, you just made that decision. And yeah. like for, from there on, were you like, I'm going to do music or did you kind of getting into music? Was that a little bit of a different journey? No, that was it. That was it. I was like, I'm going to make music. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I wanted to go to school for it, but I didn't have the opportunities like there weren't too many. I didn't know about any of the schools in Boston, like Boston Arts Academy or like Roland Hayes School of Music until I was in high school and it was too late. So from then on, it was just self-taught. It was my own mission to just learn music and translate the ideas from my mind onto paper or onto record. That that is that is that is just extremely like... (laughs) outrageous for a couple of reasons so one like the process of doing that i feel uh is very like trial and ever and like takes a lot of time so how do you even just balance okay i'm gonna be creative but i'm also going to take the however many hours it takes to learn an instrument whether that's the guitar i know you also play the drums and you taught yourself how to do that too so like how do you how do you like go through that process and kind of be be okay. It's funny because the way I did it, I was just growing up and it was just like at home at the time, there was nothing for me to do because I was in Hyde Park and I didn't know anybody on the street. Like I'd, I'd moved from that childhood home to a new place where I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So I just stayed in the house all the time and I was really bored. Like boredom is one of the most important things in my life because it pushed <laughs> me to do more things like, it pushed me to do music full on at 13, but it also pushed me to do photography at 16. Mm-hmm. So how how was your actual first year uh, like getting into music in terms of you're more of an adult, you're trying to hone your craft and you're thinking about like actually producing and putting out projects? It's hard to even pinpoint what year that is, but I would say, okay, so... After the era of me like playing guitar and like tuning it badly, mm-hmm. I, I'd say around 16, 17, I started making beats. And that was from my other cousin, James. Do you know what year this is? This is um, 
2006, I think. Okay. So just a few years later, um, he had Fruity Loops on his computer, and I saw it, and it was just like, I want that. I want to say it was someone, like someone really big. I don't know if it was Kate or not, or I don't know if he was just like playing around, but someone really big who produces, like someone asked him, tweeted to to him it was it was a male producer like like what do you use to make your beats and he said fruity loops and i just thought that was the funniest thing to me so many people still use fruity loops yeah Yeah. i've moved on to ableton but that's just a style preference for me i guess because i don't know fruity loops is still a very good tool that's really interesting yeah as much as i bad mouth it it's like a joke when i bad mouth it it's like oh fruity loops it's like fisher price it's not it's really (laughs) it's really strong it's the fisher price hoop it's it's only that to me because like that's what I started with. Yeah. And I started when they were like real basic. They were like on Fruity Loops one and two, and it was just mm-hmm. a a drum machine and a timeline to like put the tracks on. That Got was it. all it was. Okay. Um but it's so much more now. Um so getting into that was really important for me. Um I would make all the music. I'd spend like full days making like 10 beats so making it on the actual like strictly on the program yeah okay and then i would like upload them to this website called newgrounds.com yeah and it was like a that's a weird website it's like a it's one of those kids websites when you first get on the internet and got it. you see like all these animations that other people do and mm-hmm. like music i put all my stuff there and it got a little popular there um was it a website for music or was it just happened to be like a website that had like a certain audience it happened to have a audio section oh that people okay like put music on and like that music would go into animations it was a pretty cool community like mm-hmm. people would look for music for their animations through that got it yeah so i don't know if mine ever got used <sighs> but um it was pretty popular yeah so from then on, I started to try to get into bands and stuff, and that never went anywhere. So after that, I ended up going back with James, started making music with him and trying to produce it with them. Mm-hmm. And them is in DD. Is this the one who who's in the group? Yeah, yeah. My cousin James, he uh, produces. He was in um, Good Karma. Oh, okay, very dope. Yeah, and um, I was producing for them. That didn't really go anywhere because like the identity thing, like. What do you mean by that? Um, I was I was still making like rock and alternative stuff and they were strictly hip hop and that disconnect there didn't really make things work well. Got it. So that lasted until around 2013. And this is where I would say my first year happened. Okay. Like my first year happened in 2013 when I decided to like not cut everybody off, but go my own way. And musically, musically, yes, go my own way and just go full force with my vision. So in 2013, I started over, really. That was my start over year. And I started going by Hassan Barclay at that time. End of 2012. What did you go by before? I went as Chris Rogers. Oh, okay. So that was your original. That was, yeah. I was just using that. There's a song (laughs) called Antoine Dixon Online Somewhere by Chris Rogers. And there's a following for that song. I was like, it was post post, uh, Odd Feature really rapping on Got that it. song and it was very it was real raunchy it's real raunchy and it's real <laughs> real raunchy double r real dirty but, i can't um, even imagine you putting out a raunchy song it was 2011 <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago but um yeah 2013 was my start over year i started collaborating with way more people and 
just seeing what scenes were out there because I saw what was building with like what happened with Christmas. Like his first mixtape came out mm-hmm. and I saw the potential of everyone around me. That's the same time I started working with OG and OG Swaggerdick. Yeah, OG Swaggerdick. When I started working with OG, um, I realized that I could just unleash the potential of any artist I worked with. And I wanted to do that with everyone because I loved everyone. I wanted to help my friends out. But um How did you come to that realization working with OG? Honestly, I was moving my bed around in my room and I heard uh Same Old G by Genuine. And I was like, I could flip this and send it to OG. It'd be a banger. And that's how OG happened on his tape, Game Boy Colored. I think it's the second track. That's crazy. Yeah. So from then on, I knew I could just I could just do what I wanted. How, so how do you get to a place where you have the confidence of like I'm just gonna do what I what 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 I want to do, or I'm just gonna do what I see like aligning with my vision? Honestly, I went through a lot of issues, like with identity and just circumstance. Like life was just holding me down and punching me in the face. Oh man! And I realized. I'm just going to do what I want either way. And if it works out, it will. I know I'm good at certain things. And I know if I just keep pushing, people will see it and appreciate it. And that's that's how I got here, honestly. Very, very interesting. What's been your most vulnerable moment as an artist and a producer? That is a tough question to answer. Um, I guess dealing with other people. Because... Up until around 2012, I'd only produced on my own for myself, and I hadn't really worked with other people. I hadn't worked with other personalities, and you really have to be in tune with how to talk to people and how to work with people to like create something great. You have it can't be a one man show. Yeah, even if you're doing it yourself, I learned that yesterday actually at Converse. <laughs> And things came together so well. They came together better than anything I would have done on my own. And that that was a lot for me. And that was out of like a sense of collaboration, I imagine? Yeah, sense of collaboration. And it was just a lot of talented people who believed in themselves. And having that, having everyone go at 100% is insane. And I'm not used to it. Interesting. Now, how did you get involved with uh, Kadeem's project? Like, how did you guys even meet? Uh, I was skating with my boys and Kadeem just popped up out of nowhere. Was he skating as well? Was this like a, a group of skaters? Yeah, he had a board on him. Um, we used to skate. I was in this crew called uh Draco Persepia. What? Yeah, it's a weird name. Where but, um, is the what does the name come from? <laughs> the first name was Dragon Piss, and I was like, I'm not having this. <laughs> I'm not skating calling myself Dragon Piss. And it didn't help that the the abbreviation was DP. That's another story. Um, no, it doesn't. This is hilarious. Yeah, it was a bunch of raw cheating. This is the same time I put out Anton Dixon, honestly. Got it. So, so this is all full circle now. We were in the headspace. Mm-hmm. We were in that headspace together. So we were like 60 deep skating on. Where? Like, where are we talking about? Where were we? We were around Newberry Street. Okay. So like on and off Newberry Street. Kadeem saw us. He had a skateboard. And he tried to join. He wasn't that fast, though. So he couldn't really keep up. I Got saw it. him slowing down and stopped and hung out with him. And then, like, that was cool. We we hung out once. I was like, okay, I'll see you around, surely. Did you guys talk about music ever? 
Or you just he told me he was a rapper. Out? Okay. He told me he was a rapper, and um, I was like, cool. I know a bunch of rappers. A day later, I saw him in a cipher with everybody I knew, just freestyling. It was really crazy. Wow. He just kind of popped up into my life. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a cliche, but sometimes those cliches are true. Does that happen a lot? Like you feel like the folks you work creatively with, they just kind of like pop up when they're supposed to? Yeah. Seriously. Nobody, I never know anyone's coming around. They just pop up. Um, yeah. And after meeting him, when did you guys actually decide, hey, like we could actually make something together? Um, that just came from skating together. Okay. Honestly, there's a bond that you grow with someone when you skate together that I can't describe anywhere else. Really? Yeah, it's like a brotherhood. I had a skateboard too back in the day. Yeah. It you was. It was. It was. Uh, I was. I was. I was too skinny and too afraid. Yeah. That's gonna be my new EP. Too skinny, too afraid. It's pretty lit. I'll produce it. <laughs> that was me at eleven. Actually, <laughs> before I even got into skateboarding, I tried at eleven. I tried to go down the half pipe just completely ate shit yeah no i was just trying to go straight on rockwell yeah. street so wait where is that rockwell street's over by um <laughs> so off topic it's over by um uh common square that's where i used to live okay so there's probably a lot of rocks and stuff on the ground yeah it's not where you want to skate no probably not probably not yeah whatever so so you guys were skating and just organically it was like oh like we both do music let's do music yeah like sharing life experiences, just getting to know each other a lot, and we just came together. At some point, um, we decided to move in together. And, really? Um, we just had this dope house near Ashmont Station, right behind it. We could like sneak in whenever we wanted. It was really cool. But um, in that house, we really grew our sounds together, mm. and we were we were rapping together. Actually, 2012, we started rapping together as tw- uh, Junk Food Kings. Junk food king. So this is a you're in a lot of different like collectives and groups. Yeah, yeah, it's a mess. If you look <laughs> back, <if> like, <laughs> yeah, I've never explained it like this before. What what was the essence, or what is the essence rather of a uh, junk food kings? Um, I guess it comes from the name. It, you know, the idea of food deserts. Have you heard of that? I have. I used to live in one. Okay. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Grove Hall is turning into that, and it's really sad. But uh, a food desert is where there aren't a good amount of opportunities for people to get fresh food Mm -hmm. so you'll see liquor stores laundromats and bodegas but you won't see any real shopping supermarkets like you'll see one per maybe like five miles yeah and yeah that's a food desert so we became junk food kings because like we were the kings of the bodegas like we would spend like 20 bucks in a bodega on candy just because that's what that that's what was there. Dang. Yeah. So this is not including penny candy because penny candy used to, I mean, used to fruities, be lit for yeah. a while. Yeah, the fruities in the Ziploc bag. Yeah, the ones that you can literally get in a Ziploc bag like 10 for 10 cents. I don't know how I missed that whole thing. You missed the, the, the penny candy? I was around for it. I just saw it what? all the time. I always ate it, but I never bought them. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a... I don't know. I saw it the other day. I saw a Ziploc bag on the street full of empty fruity wrappers. Oh, I don't like, even see them anymore, to be honest. That's nostalgic. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that, that is some old school stuff. Uh, so then Bigelow happened. Yeah, Bigelow happened. Actually, Yo Um happened first. That was 2014. Dope. And I produced the first track on it. And people were like, 
just came to us like, oh, we need more of that. Yeah. So I just decided, Kadeem, we got to just do this mixtape. It was just me producing. Literally, was- like you produced every single song and you were on, if not a couple, definitely. I was on the last track. Yeah. Rest. Yeah. That's actually my, okay, so let, let me tell you a, a, a short little story. Yeah. So that's my favorite track on uh, that project. Thank you. Um. So Rest the actual like beat is actually from from a uh, gospel song. Yep, I love Take Six. Also, I was gonna ask you like <laughs> I played it. I was actually in New Jersey the other weekend. Shout out to Alicia, my friend. Yeah, and I and I and I I was like, yeah, like you get you got to listen to uh to to this track. It's really dope, and it's uh, produced by by this guy that like I'm interviewing. Um, and as soon as I started, she was like. <gasps> Oh my god! She was like, "Wait, is this gospel?" And then she started. She was like, "What?" Like yeah. mind blown. So like, not only do you listen and kind of are you influenced by rock, but it seems like you also have this like gospel uh, core in you as well. Like, like how did that even come about? I just like good sounds. Honestly, Take Six is one of those groups that you don't really hear about them a lot. You don't hear about groups like that a lot either. They're just a straight acapella group that just straight kills it. Straight up acapella. Like every single song, y'all, is acapella. They kill it every time. And it was just it was just right for sampling. Yeah, they let you work with that. The rage hits me like Morello solos burning deep. Street sweepers and choppers, I hear them in my sleep. I feel like Henry Hill before the paranoia soothes. Maybe if I taste the barrel, then I'll tell a shoot. I think about the struggles of my brother Reflect upon projections of rejection to another Even if I try to keep my feelings undercover The demon leading on my shoulder Never forgets to be over Bitterness and anger to my soul I gotta find a way to make it whole And I Yeah, ah That's crazy Um, so The folks wanted more how was the process actually working and then putting out that project? It's really interesting because all the beats that I made for that project, I made them while I was on tour with Christmas. Mm. So I was just in the backseat of a van just making, making beats, beats on my laptop. What? Yeah. Sometimes the machine was out. Sometimes I had the beat machine out with me. Sometimes I was just playing with the keyboard. But it was really, it was really a claustrophobic thing. But... The idea behind making those tracks, like all of those tracks had a meaning to them. They were all love letters to hip hop, like love really? letters to different eras of hip hop. So like Rest, for example, it starts out with like a moody, a moody sample with choir and shit. Mm-hmm. But um, it turns into a Just Blaze song at the end, basically. Yeah. What, what, what exactly do you mean by that, actually? It just explodes and there's just a lot of like sound working together like how you hear like a lot of just blaze songs you remember that jay-z song girls 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 yes that's kind of one of the one of the influences for me for that one very very so if you could pick so for instance like um spectacular what what aspect of hip-hop is it kind of representing like it spectacular is definitely old wayne Old Wayne for the beat, yeah. Oh like man, like I can hear Old Wayne on that. I miss Old Wayne. Yeah, everybody does. Man, I appreciate man. New Wayne though. Ah, he's just it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so transitioning from producing and being a part of uh, someone someone else's project to then just being like, okay, I'm going to go do 
my own stuff mm-hmm. in terms of production, um, the musicianship on it, and being like the the the, the artist. Um, what was that process like? Well, I was working on my album at the same time. You were, yeah. I start. I actually started my project a little after Kadeem's first project came out, and then while you were also on tour. Yeah, before that, even. Got it. So yeah. these these things are just kind of happening like simultaneously, but like different parts. Mm-hmm. Huh. A lot of multitasking. I don't. I just don't even. I'm trying to comprehend that because yeah. I like work and do and, and and do this as in like podcasting and and I really really enjoy it and I like it, but but I feel like I'm not work like you like you're working on several different things that require a lot of you. Yeah. Um. I really just. Plant seeds. That's what it's mostly about. Planting seeds. What do you mean by that? So I saw Kadeem's project. Well, I put that first beat on Yo Um, the first Kadeem project. Uh I was like, this could go somewhere. So I'm just going to keep in mind that I'm probably going to make a whole project from him at some point. Got it. So Wow. Things like that. But I also keep in mind that I'm working on mine so I can divvy up that time Mm -hmm. and effort. Mm -hmm. So I can put 100% into all of it. Because if I just... Have you ever heard the phrase... How do you eat an elephant? Like the riddle? No, I haven't. So someone asks you, how do you eat an elephant? And you're like, I don't know. You break it down. Piece by piece? Piece by piece. Maybe I have heard the first. I've heard piece by piece. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really weird way of saying it. Some I had a teacher in college who told me that. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You could have just said piece by piece. Yeah. But it made sense. Yeah. It stuck with me because it was weird. But um, yeah. So what is the difference in navigating like doing your own project bringing on folks like your own work versus just producing for somebody else it's a little harder and easier in some ways it's easier because i know exactly what i want it's hard because i don't know exactly what i want you know (laughs) um at the same time like while i was making this album i was figuring out what kind of sound i wanted at the same time i was doing my own like creative consulting on myself yeah so i would try to figure out like does this song work here does this tone work here i ended up putting all of it on it there's only one song on the album that didn't make it maybe two but what are the songs that didn't make it uh there's one song with og swagger dick that may or may not come out okay there's another song that is definitely coming out got it no names no names yet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I might perform it soon. Very, very dope. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, so I know earlier when we were talking, you had mentioned uh, an experience that you had where you had done some music and your hard drive gave out. Oh, yeah. So, so the instrumental title, uh, the title track for my album, Heaven Is Your Last Dream, I produced it all with guitar, bass, some drums. And, and you're playing all the instruments. Yeah, it was um, the drums are on the machine, but um, they sound pretty real. Uh, they no, they actually do. It's a it's a beautiful song. It's actually my favorite out of everything on the album. Thank you. And then and probably Remedy next. Yeah, I love Remedy. Too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So my hard drive failed, and I didn't have the stems for anything anymore. Everything was gone, and I just had to keep going. That, that sounds like a nightmare. It was a nightmare. 
It was a nightmare until I decided I'm just going to remake this track right now. How do you... Wait, so right after you lost it, you, you then remade it again, like in that moment? Yeah. How do you get in the headspace to do that? Uh, I can't even describe how I get in that headspace anymore. I've been doing it for so long that when I make a certain song, like when I make a song that really resonates with me, I know where exactly everything goes. And I've done it many times. There's a few tracks that I could, I still need to do it to. But um, yeah, that one, I just sat in the living room in New Jersey, spent like three hours remaking this track, guitar, drums, and everything. So you did everything over and you were like, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sent it off to the engineer and it was like, here, hey, here you go. <laughs> That's wild. So now that you're transitioning, I mean, clearly from like making tracks wherever you have to make them, whether they're in living rooms, in the back of vans, yeah. to actually making tracks in like Converse, like rubber track studios. Like, yeah. how has that experience been? That was an amazing experience. I've done it twice at this point in the past month. And the first one was for Kadeem. We went in there. He brought me, two other producers, uh, James and Obey and Chase. Okay. So we were in there. We worked on it. It was amazing. And we just tipped them off that we were, we signed up for this too. Oh, so, so your opportunity came about as in out of like, hey, like, like we also signed up because Robotrack you have to sign up for. It's like an application process. Yeah. That is really interesting. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, I didn't either. Somebody just hit me to it. Jordan Martins actually hit me up to it. To Rubber Tracks? Yeah. Well, Michael Christmas used to... I've seen him do some stuff with them, too. Yeah, he did it there. I didn't know anything about it, though. I just wow. saw, okay, he's at Converse. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know the logistics. And then he sent that. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to sign up for this now. Mm-hmm. See what happens. If it doesn't happen, cool. But if it does, lit. Um. So then we got to our session. I brought Jessica Newry. She's an amazing singer from Berkeley. Brandon Ferguson, he's an amazing guitarist and producer from Berkeley as well. I brought Stiz's DJ, Reef. Yeah. He's like my fucking boy. I love that kid. That's dope. Yeah. And James Rogers. And Liv, of course. Shout out to Liv. <laughs> She's over there on the laptop. Designing a logo. Hey. But, um, it. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Just having all of those people on 100, like just going 100%. I've never had that before, so I didn't know what to expect. But yeah. It just went so smoothly. Like every, all the music came out amazing, and I'm excited to be able to release that at some point. Very dope. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in, in a second in terms of like upcoming projects and stuff, because I'm excited too. If you could give your first yourself like some words of wisdom. Knowing what you know now, what would you say? Don't second guess yourself ever. Just keep going on your vision. Don't be afraid to do the weird stuff because that's what will get you further. The weird stuff. What do you mean by the weird stuff? Just stuff that nobody is even thinking. Like putting, like making my voice do this thing here or putting guitar on this where it doesn't belong. Okay. Yeah. And then if you uh, could give three words of advice for people, I guess, trying to get in like the creative space that, that, that you are now in, what, what would you tell them? Um, first word would be patience. You have to be really patient to do this. I... How do you practice patience? I, I try to practice patience every single day, to be honest. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. Yeah. 
you really just have to to get the level of patience I've gotten. You really just have to go through a lot of bad times, honestly. Oh man. Yeah, or just come from nothing. Like I didn't have much. And most of what I've gotten up to this point has been either borrowed or I earned it somehow other than money. Mm. Um, yeah, that machine, for example, uh, Con Urbe gave that to me. He's another producer out of Cambridge. And he just really believed in me. He was like, here, take this. And I was like, wow, I'm going to make this my fucking baby. Um, That's dope. Second word would be discipline, definitely. Without discipline, you're not really going to last much. Especially in this industry, you'll get eaten up alive. How do how do you, how do you practice discipline in terms of uh, being an artist and a producer? Like, are you producing something every single day? Are you like laying down a track every single day? Like, like how do you how does that play out in your own work? I keep myself in that headspace every single day. It's a full time job for me, and I treat it as such. Even when it's like, even when I'm hanging out with people, it's a full time job. I'm still. I'm still relaxing, mm-hmm. but I'm still keeping my headspace in the fact that I'm an artist and I need to be an artist. That is really, really interesting. So just like kind of th- thinking about like, okay, like this could potentially be an opportunity or thinking about like, oh, like this is inspiring me to create this th- this this track or yeah. that. Yeah. My friend Raw told me the other day, you need to, after the album came out, you just need to consume, go back into consume mode. And he was mm. totally right. Like- I just walked outside and I decided I didn't need headphones today. I'm just going to take in the world. My last question. What are you working on? What's what's up and coming? Um, coming out to us. I'm really keeping it simple right now. I'm thinking about an EP for the summer, but I wouldn't hold it. I wouldn't bank on that. Okay. At the same time, I would, though. <laughs> If you get what I'm saying. I would, but I wouldn't. Yeah. Wink, wink. But I would. Wink, wink. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. No, it's <laughs> definitely growth. So are you going to be like uh, the the ludicrous mixed with Lenny Kravitz in terms of like consistency? Are you saying that because I look like ludicrous? No, I'm saying that because <laughs> ludicrous. People say that a lot. Really? No, I would think uh, Lenny Kravitz before ludicrous. I'm just saying in terms of consistency, Luda was like always like putting out stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to try to be as consistent as possible, but also stick to my vision. I'm not going to I'm not going to struggle with myself to put something out every few months. That makes sense. Yeah. That's also like really, really hard slash. I don't know if it's always always necessary. Yeah. Like you put stuff out when you when you feel like it's right. Yeah. I'd rather let my album breathe for a while. Very true. Yeah. Rather get more people to listen to that before giving them something else. Exactly. And then where can people find you in your work? Uh, my work is on um, soundcloud.com slash Hassan Barclay. I'll spell it out because it's, it's kind of hard. People people mess it up a lot. H-A-A-S-A-N-B-A-R-C-L-A-Y. And that's across the board on social media. You'll find that everywhere. So we're talking about Twitter, Instagram. Twitter. Do you have Snapchat? Yeah, I do. Same thing. See, I don't have a Snapchat yet. I th- I'm, I'm going to have to get one. Yeah, but just get one. <laughs> it's not weird for you to like make videos and then be like, oh, that's my face it's and not, my voice. It's not. I love myself. <laughs> thank you so much Hassan it's been dope thank you thank you for this opportunity this is a really great podcast I'm a fan I appreciate it alright guys peace thanks for hanging out with us today y'all lots of music on this episode the initial song is Remedy off of Hassan Barkley's album Heaven is Your Last Dream Uh, also our traditional intro music is 
provided by the Bad Decisions Collective. We also had another music clip that um, is off of original Kadeem's Bigelow. Uh, it's called Rest, which is a really, really dope song. Outro music by Dalvin Beats. Our logo that we currently use was created by Andrea. So shouts to Andrea. Editing and production on this episode were both done by myself. If you're into the work that First Year Project is doing, you guys, please make sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes by typing out First Year Project, or you can also find us on iTunes by searching FYP Podcast. Also, thank you so much for all of you liking and sharing and commenting on the episodes. It's super dope to see that the work is really resonating with lots of different people from all across the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, you can find all of our episodes on our website, firstyearproject.com. Once again, firstyearproject.com on SoundCloud as well as on iTunes. Before you head out, First Year Project has something really special for you all today. Hassan was nice enough uh, to perform Get You Right, which also features Sarah Martin. Uh, he, he's performed it live for us. So we have a recording of that uh, right after this outro. So I really, really hope you guys enjoy. Peace. Hey, lover, lost your soul before the cityscape. I pray I get this song to you, it's a little late With the goddess on my side, I couldn't get you right Get you right, get you Oh, love a broken angel, saw her fade away She snorts her dreams, I wish that I could make her stay the goddess on my side, I couldn't get you right, get you right, get you, oh honey I can, smell the anger in your veins, you can swallow my pride, I hope it eases your pain, with the goddess on my side.